Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Welcome to church, my favorite place to be on a Sunday morning. Welcome to all of you in the room and welcome to our live streamers all across the world. And we're so glad Washington DC is tuning in because you need to. We are thankful, (laughs) so thankful. Little joke to start us off, but for real, they're watching. Uh, I am Penny Maxwell. My husband, Troy and I are the senior pastors here. And for those of you who may be new to Freedom House, uh, the way that we do things here is we have a teaching team. And so all of us on the team make sure that we're at all of our different campuses live, in present, every single week. So my husband is at our South End campus today. Pastor Michael is at our Lake Norman campus. And I get to be here with you and all of our live streamers as we continue this series called Dear John, which I am loving because Dear John is a letter that is a breakup letter. Anybody ever gotten a Dear John letter before? It's a break, nobody? Come on, y'all are lying already. I haven't even started. This message is gonna be for you. But a Dear John letter is a breakup letter. It's a letter that basically says we're done. So we're going to be diving into this entire month, things that we need to break up with, things that we need to say goodbye to, to let go of, so we can make sure we start this year with a clean slate. And today, we're going to be talking about how to break up with manipulation. Before y'all get too excited, (laughs) there's two forms of manipulation that we're going to discuss. There's the kind of manipulation that we actually do to other people, and then there's the kind that happens to us, but in any event, we are going to be letting go of manipulation. All throughout my house and the, the years that my children were growing up, we always had a big cabinet filled with games. Anybody have like a game cabinet or a closet? And inside that closet, there were all sorts of board games, and we would love to play board games. And in those board games, majority of the time, you would flip a card and you would figure out where you'd need to land, what color, if you were going to be in molasses swamp or gumdrop forest, right? Or you would roll the dice and you would move and you would end up on Park Place or Pennsylvania Avenue Whatever it was, it was mostly a game based on the dice that you rolled or the card that you would get. But there was this other game that was a lot different than that. This game was a game about outmaneuvering, outplaying, outsmarting, outthinking, backing into a corner. It's the game of chess. And manipulators often play the game of chess in life and use you as a pawn. You see, it's not about landing where you land. They are about manipulating, controlling, moving you, pushing you, outsmarting, outthinking. And sometimes we don't even know what hit us because manipulators are very good at what they do. 
But what we're going to do today is we're going to figure out how to spot it, how to know when it's happening so we can stop it. And if it's something that we're doing, we're going to figure out that as well, and we're going to stop doing that. And the thing I want to just clue you in on is we're also going to be talking about the manipulation that's wrapped in nice or polite that you might not even realize is happening. Why are we diving into this in church? Why are we talking about manipulation? Because the Bible says that we should be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. In other words, many of us are getting outplayed, outmaneuvered, and we don't even know what's happening, and we need to be smart and use wisdom and have boundaries as a Christian. Because the devil is seeking whom he may devour, and we can't be walking around not knowing or understanding when a power play has been made against us. You see, the reason we're talking about this in church is because I think it's smarter to build a fence at the top of the cliff than to have to have a hospital at the bottom of it. So if we can understand what healthy boundaries look like, and choose to not be engaged in manipulation, I think that we can live a healthy, prosperous life. Some of you might go, but, but I've got a really good family. I've got a really good job. Hey, we're in a really great church. I don't really know that that's going on. Well, let me just tell you that in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible talks about a perfect place called heaven where Lucifer, who was an archangel, was able to manipulate and deceive other angels, and a third of them fell with him, and they were kicked out of heaven. In a perfect place called heaven, they were kicked out, they were sent down to earth, and the devil disguised himself as a serpent, as a snake, and was in a perfect place called Eden and was able to trick, to manipulate, and deceive Adam and Eve. So if we understand that that's happening, how can we as Christians be wise as a serpent but harmless as a dove? Let me just explain to you right out of the gate that there is a difference between manipulation and persuasion. So before everybody starts elbowing their spouses or sending the notes to somebody that needs to hear it, let me explain to you the difference. Persuasion is a good thing. Persuasion is something a doctor might do when they would say, hey, Penny, I want you to take this medication because it's going to benefit you. It will be better for you if you take this medication. It's about the motive. The motive in persuasion is beneficial to you. But in manipulation, however, if you look at the same motive, it's not about you, it's about them. It's about them outplaying, outsmarting. They use an unfair advantage. They play on your weakness or maybe even your kindness or your goodness. And what they do, they'll play on your emotion. They'll play on people in order to get you to move to decision artificially. In order for you to come to an outcome 
based upon the pressure they applied on you, not for your benefit, but for their benefit. It's underhanded and deceptive. And the thing about manipulators is manipulators often know you better than you know you. They study, they watch, they look for vulnerabilities, they look for kinks in the armor. If you have ever wondered why there are vultures that are swooning above your head, let me just tell you, they would not be there if there wasn't an odor getting put off. So what is it sometimes about our behavior that can attract that? See, we're not just going to work on everybody else. We're going to work on what it is about us that maybe sometimes will draw that in. If there are always sharks circling around you, ask yourself, is there blood in the water? Because if we're not putting something off, people are not going to have the ability to come in and try to control and manipulate us and move us to a false decision artificially. In Matthew 24.4, this is Jesus talking. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Galatians 5.1, it says, freedom is what we have. Christ has set us free. Stand then as free people and do not allow yourselves to become slaves again. You see, the Holy Spirit is really great at discerning and dividing what is good and what is not good. That's why we have to lean on the Holy Spirit because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will bear witness with our spirit. So it's very important that we lean on that. It's very important that we're understanding the Holy Spirit needs to be our God because the sneaky thing about deception is it's deceiving. And we don't know when we're right in the midst of it, but the Holy Spirit will ring the bell every time if we are willing to listen. So let's get specific here. Let's just get down and dirty and specific and talk about tactics that manipulators use. I'm going to give you three covert signs or tactics, and then I'm going to give you some overt ones. And I think it would be really incredible if you pulled your phone out or your pen out and you took notes. That is not manipulation. That is the persuasion because it will benefit you. You're going to need to be able to go back and refer to this and know, man, that's what's happening when that transpired. So the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to give you three covert signs, which covert is means there's a meaning far beyond what you are seeing. It's undercover. It's a little bit more hidden, but we're going to uncover it today. The first covert sign of manipulation is shaming. Shaming. It's when you dishonor or you disvalue. Have you ever had anybody that said they were your friend or maybe a family member, but they always seem to take a cheap shot at you? They always seem to like get that little punch in, get that little put down in. Can I tell you that people that constantly make cheap shots at you are trying to manipulate and control because they are trying to shake your value or your worth. And when they can trip up your self-confidence, 
then they can come in and maneuver and control you like a pawn in a chess game. Might I also submit to you that somebody that is constantly putting you down or taking cheap shots shouldn't have a seat at your table. Whether they are a family member or whether they are not, that is not something you have to subject yourself to. So covert, number one, is shaming. Number two is guilt tripping. Now, I loved my husband's Mimi. Bless her heart. She was the sweetest thing on the face of this earth. But I like her little 95-pound, you know, osteoporosis hunched over frame, her little silver hair, the cutest woman you have ever seen in your life. But my, could she put a guilt trip on you. Well, I sure hope you come see me today because I don't know if I'm going to live tomorrow. (laughs) It sure is lonely around here. Nobody ever thinks about me. I guess I'll just have to sit here by myself. And it's wrapped in cute because she's so cute, but it's still guilt tripping. It's trying to make you feel bad. That, you know, you've got carpool and you've got to be at work and you're working eight hours and she's sitting watching Jeopardy and, and, and like, doesn't understand why you can't come over. And so it's guilt tripping because she's trying to move you artificially. Not, I was going to say not intentionally. I don't know if she did it intentionally or not, but she was darn cute when she did it. And sometimes when you have to go, oh, man, I feel bad, and this is, I, I'm not able to this, 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 and this. Let me change around 25 things. Don't move to a decision artificially because somebody made you feel bad. Because then you're not living your life anymore. You are a pawn in a chess game. You know that friend that says, I'm in a jam, and you're the only one that can help me right now. Guilt tripping. Guilt tripping. If you really loved me, we've been dating for two months now. If you really loved me, you know you would. Laying it on thick. Laying it on thick. Sometimes parents even do this to their children. You know you want to go to UNC. All of our family has gone to UNC. I mean, you wouldn't want to break the family tradition, would you? They're subtle things that make us feel bad when there is no reason we should be feeling bad. I mean, should we really make our kid feel bad about what college they're going to go to? Is it more about them and their education or is it more about my pride? That's how you understand when manipulation is involved. All right, last covert one and then we're going to jump into the overt one. Number three, minimizing, assigning a lesser value to. You've heard of making a mountain out of a molehill. This is the opposite. This is making a molehill out of a mountain. Like you should be paying attention to this, but we're going to minimize it. We're going to make it like it's not a big deal, so you'll move on and we don't have to keep having this discussion. I mean, I know I borrowed $50 from you and I didn't pay it back, but, like, are you really going to hinge our friendship on $50? You're making such a big deal out of nothing. I mean, why do you have to make... No, no, no. See, the agreement was I give you this and you pay me back. Don't try to get out of what our... 
It's not minimizing. It's I'm actually believing that you're good for your word. But they minimize in order to make you feel bad. Maybe I should just be quiet and it really isn't that big a deal and I just need to move on. That is a manipulation tactic that we are not going to allow to hit us in our life anymore. Now let's get to the juicy ones. The overt ones. The first one, overt tactic for manipulation is denial. It's when people won't admit something. It doesn't matter how hard you try. They say, no, I didn't. No, I'm not. Wives, we do this. What are you mad at? Nothing. <laughs> Did I do something wrong? No. You okay? I'm fine. Why do we do that? If we truthfully break it down, because, see, it's not... We're not verbally telling you we're mad, but we're telling you through our body language because we're trying to manipulate you to get you to pay attention to what you've done, and we're just tired of saying it. But we're going to let you know through our body language, and we're going to give you the silent treatment probably. We're going to distance ourselves, but we're not going to admit it right in the moment because, see, we're mad, and we think you should just know. We all get a good laugh because I'm coming for your husband's next. <laughs> Number two, tactic of manipulation, playing dumb. <laughs> what? You asked me to be home for dinner early? I don't remember. What? I was supposed to take the trash out? I don't remember that. I, you asked me if I would um, paint that room for you? I don't remember that discussion. When was that again? You see, what happens is if we, if we are in a place where we play dumb, nobody can actually hold you accountable for what you've done because you, you play like you don't remember. My kids did this too. I was supposed to clean my room. When was that? And then you think, well, gosh, did I tell them? And it starts to like mess with you. But it is a very overt manipulation technique. Number three, rationalizing. It's making excuses. Everything I do is justifiable. I will find a reason of why what I've done is okay. And when that happens, there's nothing you can say to anybody because they're going to Flip the script, and they're going to give you some reason why it was okay. It's the same thing with people in church sometimes. Sometimes I, like, want to question them about their behavior. And you know what they do sometimes? I know that it's nobody in this service, or probably even this campus. I'm sure it's one of the other campuses. <laughs> but sometimes you're like, why did you do that? Oh, uh, you know, I just felt like that's what God told me to do. Oh, wait, so God told you, you got four kids, he told you to quit your job, not have a job, and you have a wife and four kids because you're just waiting on the perfect job one day. God didn't tell you that. You can throw the God card all day long. When people throw the God card, what they're trying to do is if somebody comes to you and they're saying, hey, you know, I was really thinking... Um, about moving to Boston, I feel like God told me to move to Boston. What do you think? Well, if God told you to do that, why are you asking me? <laughs> like, 
Like, you want me to say, no, God didn't? Or, or, you know, me go against God? If you throw the God card on everything, my ears perk up to you. Because I want to know, what is it you're hiding where everything has to be God said, God said, God said, God said? Because, see, then people are afraid to actually challenge you on your decision because they feel like now they're challenging God. Did God really say? Isn't that what the serpent said to, to Eve in the garden? And it's twisting and it's conniving. So we don't want to throw the God card out there. We don't want to try to rationalize every single thing that happens. Sometimes I, I was in, um, this has happened at this campus, but most recently another one. <laughs> I was in the lobby, and, and a woman comes up to me and says to me, God told me you are supposed to disciple and mentor me. But obviously, she hadn't heard me preach enough, because I've been doing ministry for 27 years. I, I, I've been doing this a while, y'all. And so I looked at her, and I said, well, when he tells me, I'll let you know. It's like, do you think I'm just going to let, like, move around because God told you something? He didn't tell me. I mean, we just have to be a little bit smarter. And don't let people manipulate or pressure you uh, and make you feel bad. Just be who God called you to be and keep your boundaries in place. Uh, the next overt tactic is pretty self-explanatory. It's lying. When somebody is constantly lying to you, Cut bait and keep fishing. You don't need to stay in that relationship because then they don't remember the last lie and they got to come up with a new lie to cover the one that they told before. That's not a healthy person. Not a healthy person. Number five, the diversion technique. You know the old bait and switch, let's create a smoke screen. And the issue that I bring to you, you're going to flip it around and make it some other issue and it's really not... You start rabbit trailing. I try to talk to you about what you said to me, and then you're off five years ago. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about five years. I'm like, I'm talking about what just happened. Uh, don't, don't go five years ago because now we're somewhere else right now, and we're completely avoiding what we were just supposed to be discussing. Let's get back on topic. No diverting. Number six overt tactic is victimizing. Victimizing, it's when somebody uses the fact that you have a mercy gift or you're kind and they play that sympathy card to move your heart. If I just had some gas money, man, I'm a single mom and I've got six kids and I don't have anything and I sure, what, you, oh, where did you even come with, oh, of course, like you, you play on people's emotions and you get them to move based upon playing off of their kindness or their goodness. What it's called in a um, more formal technique is it's called sympathetic vibration. They look for people who are kind, who are generous, who are sweet, who you can tell just have a high gift of mercy or generosity and they try to play off of that 
and they look for that sympathetic vibration and they play you. Whether to get you to drive them everywhere, to get them to pay for everything, whatever it is, they are moving you artificially by acting like a victim constantly. And because many of us, especially Christians, we're taught to be kind and generous and giving. Sometimes we don't realize that we're being played. We're being outmaneuvered. So just because there's a need doesn't mean it's up to us to fill the need because somebody pressed us. I think the Holy Spirit is really good about letting us know when we should and should not move. The next one. Overt technique is being defensive. Somebody that is defensive, it's not me. I didn't do it. No, I didn't. What are you talking about? Well, I was just kidding. I was just joking. Well, let's talk about what you did. Y'all know somebody like that? I mean, I know it's not you, but I mean somebody else. You know somebody else like that, right? It's like you, you can't even try to talk about what's going on because it's going to get like flipped right back on you. The reason people are defensive is because they feel threatened or exposed and do, they will do whatever they can at all costs to protect themselves from feeling like they're being attacked. Because to a defensive person, the slightest little bit of correction will feel like an attack. I remember, because this is something my husband early on, we've had to have a lot of discussions. I would bring something to him. And it'd be like the immediate pop back. And I'm like, yo, dude, what is up with that? And this was probably like six months ago, he said to me. He goes, babe, after 27 years, I think I just figured something out. And I said, well, by all means, tell me. <laughs> he said, when you bring something to me as your husband, as the head of the house, as you're covering you're bringing this to me because you want things better. You want us to go to the next level. You're not trying to pick me apart. I said, it took you 27 years to figure that out? And he's like, well, I'm reading this book about how men and women are wired, and a man wants to get it right, and when we don't, we get defensive. And he said, our wives are wanting us to get it right, so they're always bringing us what they see because sometimes as men, we're flying 30,000 and our wives oftentimes are flying lower and see things a little clearer. And when you bring it to us, we feel like you're telling us we're not a good husband or we're not being a good father or doing a good job. And really, you're saying, I want you to be a better husband, a better father. And I'm like, well, thank you, Jesus, after 27 years. Yes. Yes, that's it. And he's like, well, I'm going to work on being defensive. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot, but sometimes we can do these things and we don't even realize we're doing them. Or they're happening to us and we don't even realize. Number eight is the sacrificial lamb. It's the one who's like, I always work so hard. I clean so much. I do for everybody else. And nobody ever thinks about me. I work 80 hours a week to provide for this family. The least I could get is a clean house when I walk in the door. 
I've been with the kids all day long. The least I could get you to do is to do this. Really, what's happening when we vocalize it that way, instead of saying, hey, I've had a long day. Do you mind taking the kids for me? We're trying to make somebody feel bad by being the sacrificial lamb. Or I worked so many hours, you should this because I this. When really, at the bottom of this is our own ambition or our own need to be approved of for approval is what's at play. And we're projecting that onto somebody else. And we've got to get that in line. Number nine, manipulation tactic is seduction. To seduce means to entice, lure, or to tempt. Now, men and women are seduced in different ways. Women can be seduced emotionally. Most of the time, and I'm not going to say always, but most of the time, women aren't like, man, that guy is so sexy, and we just fall. That's not how it works. You get into our heart, you get our emotion, and that is what lures and pulls us. It's a power play. You see a lot of women who can go online and they're, they're getting back with their old boyfriend on Facebook or from years ago because they're attaching to some emotional connection or need, whereas men are very visual. And women know that, and we use that sometimes. The way that we dress and the way that we carry ourselves, there are some things, ladies, nobody but your husband's eyes need to be seeing. And when we dress or act in a certain way, what we are doing is we are manipulating. And we might not even realize that we are doing that. Maybe we feel insecure. Maybe we had a bad breakup, so my skirt's going to get a little shorter. My top's going to get a little lower. Those are things that we do. They're... They're manipulation tactics and techniques to try to make up for what's lacking inside of us. Men can often be lured and tempted by power and can use that over women. Well, what are you going to do if you're not with me? What, you think you're going to make it on your own? You think anybody's going to love you like I'm going to love you? Hey, I, I, may, I may sometimes throw a fist or say a few words but who's going to love you like I do? We have to be careful that we are not incorporating these into our lives, that we have healthy conversation, and that we don't try to move somebody artificially to get what we want. The last one in the overt techniques is blame shifting. You see it all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam said, God, it's not my fault. It's this woman you gave me. And then you see Eve go, it's not my fault, it was the snake's fault. Well, if there's always a moving target, how can you ever assign blame and get the help that you need? You can't. And so if we don't assume responsibility for what it is that we have done, we're never going to change. It's not my fault I'm like this. I grew up in a bad family. It's not my fault I'm in debt. I mean, my family growing up was in debt. 
It's not my fault that I'm so guarded. I mean, this last relationship, listen, don't make future relationships pay for what the previous relationship did to you. We have got to stop blaming everything, and then we're going to get the help that we need. It's so important. All through the Bible, I'm going to give you some examples, and you can write these down. I'm not going to go through all these stories, but there's a story on Potiphar's wife who manipulated and controlled Joseph uh, in order to try to get him to sleep with her because she felt justified because she was lonely. We can always justify our bad behavior. I mean, you can even use the scripture and do it. And the Bible says it's not good that man should be alone. We just have to be careful. Herod, his daughter and his wife manipulated him because John the Baptist had confronted him and his wife about adultery. So they manipulated their daughter and she manipulated her husband to move artificially. Simon the sorcerer in the Bible, it says that he was looking for this power that the disciples had and he came trying to buy this power. Give me some of that. I want to use that on people. Give it to me. Over and over again, you see manipulation plays happening in the Bible. Saul tried to manipulate Samuel. Samuel, I know I've done a lot of wrong things. Samuel, you're the prophet and I'm the king. And I know you're upset with me, but we're going to go out in front of the people. Can you just, can you just act like you're with me? Act like you agree with me so the people will all be behind me and think I'm good? Manipulation plays happen all throughout the scriptures all throughout the New and Old Testament. And it's not something that is just happening to us today. It's been going on for a very long time since we have record in heaven. It is a big deal. It's a big thing, and we've got to watch out for it. Because here's the thing about a, manip a, a manipulator, is a manipulator will make just enough sense to cause you to doubt what your gut is saying. Man, well, maybe it is me. Maybe they are right. A manipulator is, is like just enough truth to make you question yourself. Just enough in there that you go, man. But the thing about that is the reason that people manipulate is because they don't trust God for the outcome. Manipulation is just a form of trying to get a need met instead of asking God to fill it in a healthy way. I had a friendship a while back, and it just felt off. It just didn't feel right. Do you know how something just doesn't feel right? And I couldn't exactly put my finger on it, but I was thinking, you know, I, sh she's a friend. I just should deal with some of these things because that's what friends do. Y'all you know, know what I'm talking about? And I just started to question some things. So I called a friend of mine who is a uh, counselor, and I said, hey, his name's Chip. I said, Chip, I need you to help me through something because I'm questioning one of my friendships. I, like, it's kind of starting to disturb me a little bit. And he said, what's going on? And I began to tell him what was happening in this friendship. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He's like, that's not a friendship. That's a project. And he said, Penny, there is a difference between caring for someone and carrying someone. He said, they are manipulating you. 
And they're using your kindness to make a power play against you. So I determined to be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove, and to know when there are power plays that were being made against me. Because really, it's all about our boundaries. My boundaries were not where they needed to be. And so I thought what I would do is I would talk to you the couple minutes that we have left and just show you what happened in the Bible with people that had good boundaries. And Jesus is involved in both of these scenarios. But I think what can happen sometimes is we are so used to being manipulated, we don't even know what healthy really looks like. So let me give you two examples of healthy boundaries in the Bible, and then we're going to bring this in um, for a landing. But let me just tell you this. When you establish healthy boundaries in your relationships, unhealthy people will not like it, and you will get pushback. You're either a bad friend, or I thought you were part of this family, or I thought you cared about me. They will always push back on your boundaries. But let's see what Jesus did. This is what healthy boundaries look like. Matthew 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve you to come under my roof But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and to this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In other words, my mother Mary doesn't even have this kind of faith. This is unbelievable. What you do not see this centurion do is say, Jesus, if you don't come right now to my house Everything's lost. It's all gone. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's your responsibility. If right this minute you don't drop everything you're doing and come to me. Jesus even asked him. Jesus said, shall I come heal him? This man understood authority and he said, no, I understand boundaries. Just give me your word. And he'll be healed. Now let's watch what plays out in this next one. Mark chapter 10 verse 17. Jesus started on his way and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Man, he looks really humble. Man, he fell on his knees before him. In other gospels, they say that this man was a rich, young ruler. It says he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice there's a response Jesus gives this time because wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Look at Jesus' response. It says, 
Jesus says to him, if somebody just came to me bowing down before me and saying how good I am and calling me teacher, this is what Jesus says back. Why do you call me good? You notice the different response because of the different people from where Jesus was with the centurion? Jesus was sniffing something. He was like the rock. He's sniffing what the man's got cooking. You know? He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And that's so interesting. Last I checked, there was only one that had done that, and it's the one he's talking to. Okay. So Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's the harmless as a dove. He was wise as a serpent. He caught on to this guy trying to manipulate him, but he was harmless as a dove. He looked at him, and he loved him. And he said, you know, there's one thing that you lack. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It says, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What I do not read here is where it says that this man walked away because he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. It does not say that Jesus was like, wait, 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 don't leave, come back, come back, come back, okay, 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 okay. Just give away half your stuff. See, I really need you for my ministry because you're rich and, and I need the money that you have. So please, 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 don't, don't go, don't go. And, and you're a millennial and I need to reach the millennial crowd. So please don't walk away. Don't, I'll change the rules. Come back, come, come, come back. And you're a ruler. I know you have lots of connections. I'd love to use your connections. Please, I'll change the rules for you. Just come back, stay, stay. I mean, you, you came in bowing after all. You, you came in calling me teacher after all. Uh, you probably didn't mean, I, I know you didn't mean to say that you, were the, you kept all these things. Just don't, don't go. Can, can you just stay? It says that Jesus let him walk, but he loved him. Sometimes we have to write a Dear John letter and we have to let people walk even though we love them. Because people with healthy boundaries will know and they will know. Proverbs 4, 7 says, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. And with your wisdom, develop common sense and good judgment. Will you stand on your feet? I want you to understand today's message in a nutshell, in one capsule. It's about relationships. It's about our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and getting healthy. Starting this new year off healthy. But as much as we need the relationship with ourselves to be intact in our relationship with other people, None of that is going to be right. Our horizontal relationships cannot be right unless we get that vertical relationship straight. 
And what I would like to ask you to do with every person in here, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, and everyone online that is watching right now, if you would say, I want to get this straight. I realize that some things that we discussed today are things that I need to work on. I want to work on my relationship with God first, knowing that if I do that, I can work on me and I can work on my horizontal relationships. Today, if you would say, I want to get that first relationship right, first things first, my relationship with God, I need a fresh start. I need a do-over. If you're here in this room, I want you just to lift your hand up and say, that's me. Just say, man, I need a fresh start. I need a do-over. I need to hit that reset button this year. Hands everywhere. If you're online, all you got to do is hit the hand that's online. Or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, there are people right there that want to pray with you. Just let them know that that's you, that you want to make that commitment today. And what I would love to do is whether you're in here, you're online, you're on YouTube, Facebook, whatever it is, the same God that is showing up right here in this room is showing up right there wherever you are. And the Bible says that we can come boldly to his throne of grace and obtain mercy and help in a time of need. So we're going to do that. We're going to come boldly right now. So let's just all say this. Say it loud enough for yourself to hear it. Say, Heavenly Father, I ask you right now to come into my life. Wipe away the slate. Give me a fresh start. Make all things new. Help me in my relationship with you. Help me be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. As I walk out this life, serving you and following you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.